is Renegade Talk Radio. Renegade Talk Radio. Taking a record of the hearts and minds of the American people, it's the American Journal with your host, Harrison Smith. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the American Journal. I am your host, Harrison Smith. Just so much to talk about today. We've got a lot of videos to show you. Not sure how I'm going to get them all in, but we're going to do our best to try. And, of course, we'll be joined in the third hour by Simon Roche, who is a spokesman and activist for the Swedelanders group. That is uh, a group in South Africa. South Africa, as you, you may know, as you may recall, if you've been watching this show, is in a state of absolute freefall and total collapse. Very dangerous situation. So we're going to get the latest from him in the third hour. Your calls throughout the second. But let's begin today as we do every day with our Daily Dispatch. All right, here it is, folks. Your Daily Dispatch for Thursday, the 9th of March, 2023. Mitch McConnell hospitalized after a fall in a hotel. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell has been hospitalized after a fall at a hotel in Washington, D.C., this evening, yesterday evening, Leader McConnell tripped at a local hotel during a private dinner. He's been admitted to the hospital where he's receiving treatment. No other additional details uh, were provided. The fall happened at the Waldorf Astoria Hotel, which I believe was the was previously the uh, Trump Hotel. So he is, I guess, in uh, in the hospital now, uh, recovering from his fall. Moving on, Adidas profits fall eighty three percent after split with Yeezy. German, uh, the German company Adidas is facing a slump in China with $6 billion of unsold inventory, adding challenges after a bruising 2022 in which it dumped its chief executive and terminated its partnership with rapper Kanye West. This former, the German sportswear maker's revenue increased 6% last year to 22.5 billion euros, equivalent to around $23.7 billion, while its net profit fell 83% to 254 million euros. In the fourth quarter, revenue growth almost ground to a halt and the company posted a 482 million euro loss. Adidas also slashed its dividend almost 80%, which begs the question, how do the stakeholders feel about this? How do the shareholders feel about uh, their profit being severed by 80%, their income actually going in reverse and losing half a billion dollars in a single year? to virtue signal slash destroy the life of Kanye West. Is that, is that the way you're supposed to make business decisions? They just do, and they're getting away with it, I guess, because everybody's afraid to say anything, I guess. I don't know. I don't know what the deal is. All I know is if I was invested in a company that decided to just willfully destroy its most profitable venture because some Hollywood Jewish guy told them to, uh, I'd be a little bit pissed off. I'd be a bit peeved, you may say. But hey, then again, that's why the ADL doesn't like me. Meanwhile, Russian missile barrage slams into cities across Ukraine. Russia unleashed a massive rocket attack that hit critical infrastructure and residential buildings in 10 regions of Ukraine, the country's president said Thursday, with officials reporting at least six deaths in the largest such nighttime attack in three weeks. President Volodymyr Zelensky said the barrage... Uh, that came while many people slept and knocked out power in cities across the country was an attempt by Moscow to intimidate Ukrainians again. Uh, or it can be that you're in a war. Could be that. Could be the war that you refuse to 
find any peaceful resolution to. It could also be that, you know. Now, now it's, it's probably a sign that they're losing, if I had to guess. Meanwhile, yet another tranche of uh, boxes have been found with classified documents in the ownership of Joe Biden. National Archives retrieved nine boxes of Biden documents from Boston office. That's the latest headline from Gateway Pundit. Nine boxes of documents were taken from Joe Biden's lawyer's Boston office. Fox News reported on Wednesday emails between Joe Biden's lawyers and the National Archives were released last month. The National Archives released 74 pages of emails in response to a FOIA request. And just uh, yet another story that doesn't get nearly as enough attention as it deserves. We'll get to that. Finally, we have this story. House votes down Gates bill to withdraw troops from Syria. Or I like how Liberty Lockdown uh, Clint Russell put it. We've entered a new stage of empire collapse where Congress will no longer hold any vote to start a war, but they will vote down their potential ability to end the previous undeclared war. Yes, that's how lost our government truly is. It's the only thing they agree on anymore. Bipartisan support of war. It's Thursday, March 9th, Year of Our Lord, 2023. And you're listening to The American Journal with your host, Harrison Smith. Watch it live right now at band.video. I think it's time. All right, good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to American Journal. My name is Harrison Smith, your host. Just so much to cover today. A slight correction from the previous segment. We'll be joined at 9 a.m. by Simon Roche, spokesperson and activist for South Africa. We'll learn about what's going on in that country as it just gets worse and worse and worse the more that we see. You know, it's kind of tough. It's kind of it's kind of tough doing this job. I don't know if you guys know this. It's uh like I'm a I'm a pretty empathetic guy, like overly so sometimes. For really good imagination, so when I when I see things like video that somebody posted having to do with our guest, Joe Biggs, uh, and it talks about the fact that he's been in prison for two years while his very young uh, daughter, for whom he is a single father, carries around a picture of him and talks to it. He's sitting behind bars despite having done absolutely nothing wrong. Sort of the type of thing that's just like, how are you supposed to go do a show after that? How are you supposed to go and how are you supposed to feel any hope at all when you see something like that? It's like every day there's something like that. Every day there's some sort of just just misery on just right there in your face. And, uh, you know, I guess it's I guess we have to alchemize it. We have to transform it, transfigure it into the rage necessary to defeat these unspeakably evil people who have done this to Joe Biggs or Jacob Chansley or Sam Montoya or Baked Alaska or any of the people that have had huge chunks of their lives uh, ripped away from them despite having done nothing wrong and not deserving in the slightest. The very same people, by the way, that are letting criminals off the hook and you know not even charging them bail when they murder people so they get out and murder somebody else just – the sheer amount of human misery that comes from the rule of these globalist elites is really something else. And of course, I don't want, I don't want to start the day, you know, start this morning show, just like 
everything's miserable. And imagine, imagine two years not being able to see your two-year-old daughter as she cries herself to sleep at night because you went against the American government. Anyway, uh, now on to the other news. It's just, it's, uh, I guess it's, you know, you gotta, we gotta, we gotta destroy these people. We have to really understand the true scale of the conflict that we're in and the true just vicious mercilessness of our opponents who really will just inflict the most horrendous, vicious misery on uh, their opponents and not even blink an eye about it. Like you really have to understand that they want you dead, they want your children raped, and they think it's funny. And uh, I mean it makes you want to run away. It makes, makes you just want to be like, yeah, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. But it is because if we don't stop them now, we'll have a thousand more Joe Biggs. We'll have ten thousand more Joe Biggs. We'll have ten thousand more just regular patriotic Americans expressing their First Amendment right, having their lives utterly destroyed. And of course, you know, when you have one person like that who gets their life destroyed, it's a cascading effect of innumerable people just having psychological trauma inflicted upon them that is irreversible and totally unearned. So. I guess that's the only thing I can do is just like re reaffirm that we really have to, it's really a life or death struggle that we're in. And there is no escape, by the way, by the way, there is no escape. There is nowhere you can run that they won't track you down to destroy you. They, they aren't the type of people that just want to be left alone. Like we are right. We think it's fine. If you want to go live in a society where you imprison people for protesting and, and, just inflict ceaseless misery on, on your political opponents. Go do that over there. You, if you think that's the better way to live, leave us alone, and we don't want to deal with it. Um, but see, they don't have the same courtesy for us. If we want to live in a country where you're allowed to be patriotic and Christian and white and uh, freedom-loving and generous and self-sufficient, uh, they are not okay with that. They don't give us the same same leeway to live our own lives. So... Uh, you know, maybe we need to take a page out of their book and remind ourselves there is no sequestering ourselves away from this. There is no looking out for us and letting everybody else uh, burn. We have a, a duty to destroy these people utterly, completely in a fashion from which they uh, will never rise again. I mean, that's just that's just my idea politically, obviously. Uh, let's, but we're going to, but I try, but I try to, to keep it light. I try to, I try to not burden everybody with the utter misery that we are confronted with on a daily basis, because of course, that's a sure way to lose this conflict. If you want to lose the conflict, be miserable, uh, act like it's not worth fighting, believe what they tell you that, you know, they are in charge and the rest of the world is just, a. You know, for, for the rest of, of time, they will sit at the top as technocratic overlords subjecting all of us to their will. And if you want to defeat that, then you can't be miserable and sad and depressed. You have to be joyful and you have to uh, confront this with alacrity, with, with fury, with everything we've got. So uh, we're not going to let them get us down. So we're going to understand that defeating them requires that we laugh them into non-existence. And of course, they give us plenty, just more than enough 
evidence for this, more than enough raw material for us to form our perspective. Let's go to uh, clip number 12 here as some of the highest placed governmental actors in our entire system uh, hand out awards for International Women's Day. Here is uh, Jill Biden and Secretary of State Anthony Blinken. He's taking a he's taking a moment off from coordinating massive purposeless murder fests in Ukraine to uh, hand out awards for International Women's Day because they love women, don't you know? Here they are handing out this uh, very important International Women's Day award for uh, courage. Women of Courage Award. Let's see who wins the Women of Courage Award, shall we? In Argentina, Alba Ruada is a transgender woman who was kicked out of classrooms, barred for sitting for exams, refused job opportunities, subjected to violence, and rejected by her family. But in the face of these challenges, she worked to end violence and discrimination against the LGBTQI plus community in Argentina. Amazing. Incredible. Incredible. After women were barred from you know, schools in Afghanistan. I think it just proves, once and for all, men are better at everything, including being women. <laughs> That's my takeaway. <laughs> Stories at InfoWars video. Jill Biden presents International Women of Courage Award to a dude. Which is such a joke. It's just, we're just the, the biggest joke in the entire world. So there's a man who is being awarded the Women of Courage Award on International Women's Day because he pretends to be a woman. And Argentina isn't down with that, I guess. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Such a joke. <laughs> Such a joke. Secretary of State. Yeah, so here you go. Thank you. Wow, very strong. Wow, you have a very strong handshake there for a lady. That's, that's incredible. No, you're very beautiful. Oh, you know, I'm, I'm so proud. I'm so proud of us, Anthony Blinken and Jill Biden, very seriously presenting the International Women's Day Award to a man. I mean, I get that this is just what our country is now. Like, this is just where we are. It's not the first time this has happened for years now. They've been giving out, uh, you know, Women of the Year Award to dudes with penises. So, you know, maybe it'll stop being funny eventually, but... Come on, the seriousness, the, the sanctity for which they treat this, the fact that they expect all of us to, oh my God, he was precluded from going into women's locker rooms. He wasn't able to get scholarships that are specifically for women just because he's a man. <laughs> what? <laughs> they expect us all to like feel for this. By the way, she's wearing the transgender flag, which is blue and pink soft colors like babies because this is all about destroying nature we'll talk more about it on the other side folks we're going to be happy warriors if uh if russian today for the insurrection. Please make sure you pick up a promotional leaflet on the way in, stay inside the safety cordons at all times, and if you get lost, speak to one of our Capitol Police officers, they'll be sure to point you in the right direction.
be sure to set aside a little time today to join us for some insurrection activities, including our photography tour, our fancy dress competition, and have a go on our climbing wall. But don't forget those safety ropes. And I've now received the results of our fancy dress competition. The winner today is Jacob Chansley. That's Mr. Jacob Chansley. If you could report to your nearest Capitol Police officer, they'll be sure to give you your prize. A guided tour of the building. And all that's left is for me to thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed the insurrection. Wherever possible, please try to clean up after yourselves. Don't forget to visit the souvenir shop on the way out. And feel free to join us on the outdoor terrace for Nancy Pelosi's Insurrection Soiree. Grab yourself a light refreshment and enjoy the music of our very own Fancy Dress Competition winner. Ah, yes, the, the unguided tour surrection. The the coup slash meandering, the mean the great meandering. Where were you? Where were you that day? I had a similar idea. Mine went something like um if you look to your left, you can see the Senate chamber. They're in session now, so we can't go in there. But if you look to the right, you see the statuary hall, which was originally commissioned by uh Abraham Lincoln in 1864, and if you'll put your hands behind your back and face the wall, you're now under arrest for domestic terrorism. Strange, strange occurrences, strange things going on these days, especially as you have the left just openly terrorizing people across the entire country for years on end at this point, and little to nothing is done to them. And again, it's not about pointing out hypocrisy. It's about elucidating everybody into the as to the apartheid that we're currently under, the uh, political feudalism that is being uh, built around us. If you're on the right side, you don't have to adhere to laws. You don't have to be subject to restrictions. You aren't under investigation. The authorities will pretend you don't even exist. But if you're on the wrong side, then you don't have to break a law or hurt anybody or violate any statutes. Uh, You just have to exist, and you are under suspicion for that. And if you try to speak up at a school board meeting or protest an abortion clinic, then you will be treated as if you are a domestic terrorist and punished severely. So just everybody be aware of where we are now, whose control we're under, and let's proceed appropriately. Now, this story was in our Daily Dispatch, but again, it just – it really just illustrates – where and who we are as a country these days. House votes down Gates' bill to withdraw troops from Syria. The House voted 103 to uh, 321 uh, 321 on Wednesday against pulling U.S. troops out of Syria, rejecting a war powers resolution to do so, uh, introduced by Representative Matt Gates. The Republican from Florida used expedited procedures laid out under the War Powers Act to force a floor vote on the bill which would have required the Biden administration to withdraw the approximately 900 troops stationed in Syria within six months. Democrats from the Congressional Progressive Caucus joined Libertarian and America First aligned Republicans rallying behind Gates' resolution but fell short of the votes needed to pass it amid opposition from leaders in both parties. So again, you've got – once again, you have the progressives and the libertarians on one side and the establishment on either side now – contending against each other. 
I think it could be a good thing, except it, it really illustrates something horrible, which is that it's the only thing we agree on. Like, when was the last time you saw a bipartisan vote? We can't agree on the First Amendment or the right to life or the southern border or like nothing, nothing. We, we Every other topic is like intractable differences. It's Republicans, Democrats, like at each other's throats, just like one extreme to the other, neither one willing to give an inch. And then when it comes to war, they're shaking hands, they're patting each other on the back. It's, it's the only thing we believe in anymore collectively as a country, apparently. The people don't. The people don't want the war. The people haven't even been told why we have people in Syria in the first place. Does anybody, can anybody tell me what, why, <laughs> just why? Why? Why are, why, would, why are we in Syria? Why are we continuing to be in Syria? When did we ever have the vote in the first place to go to war in Syria? Anybody feel like explaining that? No. The people, the people in charge just come together to keep us there forever. For no reason, no purpose, no goals here. Just, you know, pushing the World War III line against Iran for no discernible reason. Again, I, I really like how Clint Russell from Liberty Lockpod put this on Twitter at Liberty Lockpod. We've entered a new stage of empire collapse where Congress will no longer hold any vote on starting a war, but they will vote down their potential ability to end the previously undeclared ones, uh, the uh, previously undeclared war. Worthless, evil scumbags. Here you see the U.S. House in a 103 to 321 vote rejected a concurrent resolution that would have directed the president to remove all U.S. troops from Syria within 180 days. Again, when have you ever seen a split like this where you've got 171 Republicans voting it down and 150 Democrats voting it down and you know only about 50 on either side voting for it? We, we have bipartisanship, but only in one regard, only in one particular topic, and that is endless, ceaseless, purposeless, undeclared war, foreign wars. That's it. That's all we have. That's all we believe in anymore. That is the only thing uh, that we can actually come together on, apparently. Incomprehensible. Utterly, completely insane. Uh, Clip number three is uh, Rhino, supposed Republican, Ryan Zinke, arguing against withdrawing from Syria in just the most typical way you can possibly imagine to, to think that they are still using this argument which i guess means it still works really hard for me to believe but let's go now to representative ryan zinke i think it's how you pronounce it frankly i don't care uh here he is arguing in favor of the war in syria let's watch the hard truth is this the hard truth either we fight him in syria or we'll fight him here Either we fight and defeat them in Syria, or we'll fight in the streets of our nation. Uh, quick question. Who is them? Who are they? Who are we fighting to defeat over there? Who are we fighting here? I mean, do you know what's going on here? <laughs> do, you, do you know what's happening here right now? Do you know about the six million people that have crossed the border in two years? Do you know about the massive skyrocketing crime, highest in 80 years in many places, 50% of murders going unsolved? Have you thought about that? No, we have to fight them over there or else we're going to have to fight them over here. It's the most tired, played out, ridiculous talking point I've ever heard. If I was a Syrian, I sure as hell would want revenge on America now. 
because of the unwarranted aggression that America has done against Syria. It's the only reason I'd hate America if I was Syrian, because of that guy right there and his ilk. Infowars.com is tomorrow's news today. You're listening to The American Journal with your host, Harrison Smith. Watch it live right now at band.video. All right, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Hard, hard, hard. It's so difficult to even express how how just utterly lost our entire country is. I think maybe in the next segment I'll play a little piece by... Uh, Jamie Raskin, because I was thinking about this, about how the lies of the mainstream narrative are not discrete events. They don't exist in a vacuum. They're all built on a very elaborate, highly layered construction of lies. So when you talk about January 6th, it's not even about January 6th. It's about the mail-in voting fraud. It's about the election in the first place. It goes all the way back to 2016, and you know people go, "Well, Donald Trump called for violence. Of course he did. This is the just the type of thing he does because they're still believing the lies from five or six years ago." So, you know, all of these things pile on top of each other, and oftentimes the lies, you know, embed themselves in the consciousness of Americans before the truth is even known, and never thoroughly gets extricated you know that that lie remains in their head like the lie of donald trump calling for violence from his supporters during 2016 when the opposite was true his supporters were routinely attacked and if anything he basically just said you don't have to take that you don't have to sit there and take it when people attack you which is obvious the human right everybody has to defend themselves very basic thing but we'll get to that in just a second but all everything sort of falls in line with this, right? Uh, COVID-19 is just a plethora of lies. It's just a timeline of lies and deceit going all the way back to around 2017. Now, some of these lies are being unwound or being untangled here. Let's go to clip number 11. This is the former CDC director explaining to Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene exactly how COVID was engineered. Did you agree, in your opinion, with Dr. Anderson's assessment at the time that this virus did look engineered? I was concerned because of uh, the presence of the furin cleavage site that we've talked about. And I think it's important to understand what that cleavage site does. Uh, That cleavage site totally changes the orientation of the binding domain of covid So it now, which could not see the ACE2 receptor, which is the human receptor, it totally changes the orientation now, so it has high affinity for a human receptor. So that furin cleavocyte bothered me. It didn't seem that it belonged there. And then when you look at the sequences that it used, and it's beyond the committee, but I know many of you have looked into it, the sequences that they used in those 12 nucleotides for arginine were the arginine sequences, nucleotide triplet, that coded for the human arginine. So why did this virus have the arginine sequences for human there, not bat? It was very disconcerting to me. It looked like this virus was engineered. 
Was this, uh, what you're observing and speaking of, is this something that would be in line with gain-of-function research and the, and the capabilities it would provide to right. the virus? Yeah. I mean, basically, this lab published in 2014 that they accomplished in this, uh, allowing the coronaviruses that they were working with in the lab to bind to the H2 receptor in humanized mice. And the only way they did that was by reorienting the binding domain. So, I mean, I guess uh, the only thing now is, yeah, we know. Yeah, we told you so. You know, we've known this for a very long time. The stories at InfoWars, former CDC director Redfield to Congress, COVID-19 created in a lab, U.S.-funded gain-of-function research. Representative Jim Jordan has uh, another statement he made about this, clip number 15. He says there's 9 million reasons why those top two scientists changed their stance on the lab leak theory. Let's watch. Three years ago, if you thought it came from a lab, if you raised that, you were called a nut job. You got censored on Twitter. You were blacklisted on Twitter. You were even called a crackpot by the very scientist who in late January sent emails to Dr. Fauci and said it came from a lab. They called you crackpot. Is that right, Dr. Redfield? I think the most upsetting thing to me was the uh, Baltimore Sun calling me a racist because I said this came from a Wuhan lab. Dr. Reptil, you, were, you're, uh, you, you ran the CDC and you were on the Coronavirus Task Force, is that right? Correct. That was formed on January 29th, 2020, is that right? Correct. Two days later, Dr. Fauci gets an email from Dr. Anderson which says what? Virus looks engineered, virus not consistent with evolutionary theory. Is that accurate? That's my understanding. From Next day, I know. Did he share that email with you, by the way, Dr. Redfield? No. As a member of the task force, as a head of CDC, did he share that email with you? No. Okay. Next day, February 1st, Dr. Gary sends Dr. Fauci another email. That email says, I don't know how this happens in nature, but it would be easy to do in a lab. Did he share that email with you, Dr. Redfield? No. You didn't no. see either one of those emails, even though you're head of CDC, even though you're on the coronavirus task force that had been formed just two days, three days earlier. No. Three days later, Dr. Anderson and Dr. Gary, who told us it came from a lab and emails to Dr. Fauci that Dr. Fauci wouldn't let Dr. Redfield see, three days later, they changed their position 180 degrees. The question is why? Mr. Wade, why would they change their position that fast when the only intervening event is a conference call with Dr. Fauci, the guy who wouldn't let Dr. Redfield see the very emails that they had sent him, Dr. Redfield, head of CDC on the coronavirus task force. Why would they change their position, Dr. Wade, or Mr. Wade? Uh, well, this question does lie at the heart of the um, issue. Uh, what is pertinent, it seems to me, is there's, there's no new scientific evidence that we can see that came uh, available between these dates, the Jan 31st I, and Feb 4. Right, there's no new, I think you're, go ahead. So you have to ask if there were other uh, other kinds of influence uh, available. <clears throat> now, it is true that, that um, Dr. Fauci and Dr. Farry in London were very powerful research officials, and between them they controlled... I read, I read your testimony. I saw okay. that. Yeah. So... Why don't you uh, cut to the chase and tell them what, what you really think was the reason? <laughs> I don't know what, what the reason was. I, I know what it was. I... Go well, ahead. no, go ahead. Go ahead. I'll let you say because I read your testimony. I think you, you said it in your testimony, too. Maybe you're reluctant <clears> to say it here, but go ahead. Well, if you're looking at the timeline on um, May 21st, um, just uh, a few weeks after the Nature, Med uh, the, the Nature Medicine article had come out, 
uh, two of the signatures of the original email to uh, Dr. Fauci, that, that's Dr. Anderson and Dr. Gary, were awarded a $9 million grant for the... So there's $9 million reasons why they changed their mind. I knew you'd get to it. I read that last night. Three months after, so three days after they say it came from a lab, they changed their position in the only intervening events, a conference call with Dr. Fauci and Dr. Collins, again, a call that Mr. Redfield was not allowed to be on, the head of CDC and on the coronavirus task force. And then three months later, shazam, they get nine million bucks from Dr. Fauci. Well, isn't that something? So I'm actually going to be going on uh, Chase Geiser's podcast, One American uh, the One American Podcast, and uh, today, later today, about 7 p.m., I don't know if it's going to be live or not, but it'll be posted shortly either way. And uh, The entire focus is going to be on evidence of the lab leak because there's a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist on Twitter said there's no evidence whatsoever of a lab leak. But again, just like any crime, you look for means, motive, and opportunity, and just because you don't have physical evidence doesn't mean that you don't have overwhelming circumstantial evidence, and you also have the cover-up of the physical evidence. We don't have physical evidence. Why? Well, because the people that were sent to investigate it were the very ones who did the crime in the first place. It's actually not that complicated. Peter Daszak was the only American – he's not even American, but he was the only American representative on the WHO team to go investigate the source of and the origin of – the coronavirus, and they took a tour of the Wuhan lab, lab, but they didn't actually investigate it. And of course, he was the one that was facilitating the uh, gain of function research in the first place. So there's a reason you don't have evidence, and the lack of evidence isn't evidence that it didn't happen. It's actually evidence that there was a cover up that happened because there is evidence out there. It's just not available to us because the people we sent to investigate were the very people who carried out the gain-of-function research in the first place. It's a very tangled web we weave here, but suffice it to say that it was created in a lab. We've known the entire time, and I'd go even a step farther and say it was released on purpose strategically at a very particular time to get all sorts of different benefits for the New World Order in 2020. Shut down the campaign, get the mail-in ballots, destroy the economy, Worked out very well for them. Ladies and gentlemen, InfoWars has proven itself the last 28 years to be over the globalist target and having the biggest effect out there against those tyrants. And we fund our operation with viewers and listeners support while selling you great products at the same time. So I want to thank all the viewers and listeners who have supported us over the years by spreading the word, praying for the broadcast, and buying product. But I really want to encourage those of you that have been on the fence and have never actually gone to InfoWarsStore.com to go there and get the great books and films and supplements and survival gear that's there that won't just empower you and enrich your life, but again, will keep this broadcast transmitting. So whether it's Real Red Pill Plus or our super high-quality CBD oil or the 50% off or our great physio magnesium product or whether it's Down and Out, our great sleep bay that's back in stock, it's all there. Our turmeric, 95% humanoid, strongest out there, turmeric 95. It's all available at InfoWarsStore.com and it keeps us on the air. So make the decision to enrich your life and keep us on air, InfoWarsStore.com. The eugenicists over 100 years ago were very public about their plans. They financed major universities. They ran full-page stories and advertisements pushing their propaganda in the New York Times, other major newspapers, that the family as we know it is a bad thing and must be ended. And the first step in that is getting women out of the household and teaching women that 
cooking dinner and taking care of your sons and daughters and husbands is a bad thing. And I was just sitting here tonight making dinner for my daughter, my four and a half year old daughter. My wife makes dinner a lot of times, but I like to make it as well. I love to make breakfast. And literally, it's the funnest thing on earth to make food for your family and be nurturative and then all sit down together and have that communal event. And that's what the system is attacking and bombarding, is our normal biological actions are coming together. They really are sick, evil, scientific cult of filth that want to domesticate us and turn us into lab rats. We cannot let this continue. You're listening to The American Journal. Watch it live right now at band.video. Joined in the next hour by Simon Roche. He's an activist trying to save what he can of South Africa. Excited to talk to him about what's going on in South Africa, what it portends for us here in America. I'll talk to him next hour and take your uh, phone calls throughout the rest of the show after that. But I want to go down to a video of Representative Jamie Raskin. He's flipping out. He's got a, a leopard print do-rag on. It's just it's just everything you would expect from the United States government at this point. But he's actually making kind of the, the inverse of the reality. Again, as typical as you can imagine. But the main, mainstream narratives, right, like January 6th. It's a lie built upon a lie, built upon a lie, built upon a lie. It's all it's lies all the way down. And it it kind of makes it impossible to deal with these things because how are we supposed to prove that what they're saying in 2021 is a lie when they believe it because of what they believe from all the way back in 2016 or 2020 or you know the years before that. So it's almost it's almost like we have to go back and just deconstruct it all piece by piece. Who's got the time for that? They don't listen anyway. They, they really don't care. If only they'd listened in the first place, we wouldn't be in this mess. But the mess serves them. The mess facilitates what they want anyway. The chaos and confusion is by design. So we'll go now to Representative Jamie Raskin. Again, wearing his leopard print do-rag and uh, flipping out on the, on the floor of the Senate on the floor of the Congress. Uh, let's go to clip number one now. To uphold the Constitution, that's why people go to court and they swear an oath to tell the truth. Now, they take their shocking nihilism about what's true and what's false and they convert it to this entire Congress. And it all starts, of course, with January 6th and before that, the presidential election. All starts with a big lie. Donald Trump's big lie. Well, they say, well, who knows? Maybe he won. Maybe he didn't. You say Joe Biden's president. We say Donald Trump's president. Nonsense. 60 federal and state courts rejected every claim of electoral fraud and corruption that they put forward. 60 federal and state courts rejected every claim. They don't have a single court that ever ruled in their favor. Donald Trump lost that election by more than 7 million votes. 306 
to 232 in the Electoral College. So then their big lie now has to stretch all the way over January 6th. We have to disbelieve the evidence of our own eyes, of our own ears. We saw them come and descend upon this chamber, this Congress, wounding and injuring 150 of our police officers, breaking people's noses, breaking people's fingers, putting people in the hospital. And already they're back on the news Wait, they didn't with kill big lies saying, no, oh, no, no, they killed it was a tourist officer. visit. Like these real tourists up here who have to come and watch representatives in the United States Congress say there's no difference between truth and lies. Real tourists who are not beating the daylights out of our police officers. Yeah, you go, girl. You tell them. Again, you know, it was just projection and hypocrisy. It's all the, it's all the typical things that you expect from these people. But it's just it's the ultimate irony, right? They did the same thing when they were holding the January 6th committee is they they would get up there and sound very self-effacing and and it's our duty to uphold the constitution. This is all about the constitution and we're saving the constitution. We have to get rid of free speech to save the constitution and we have to undo due process and ignore fifth amendment rights to save the constitution. We have to destroy the constitution to save the constitution. We're super smart. So he starts off by saying we have to we have to uphold the constitution. We took an oath to uphold the constitution. But only certain parts of it, right? Not the part that says that you know the the Congress is obligated to uh, vote on a ten day period of review whenever results of election are are in question. Uh, not that part. No, I- ignore that part. And of course, you can just point out the hilarious hypocrisy of five years of calling Donald Trump a Russian agent and saying that Russia stole the election, only to be lectured by those very same people about questioning the results of an election. I mean, it just goes, it goes on and on, but he's right. If you don't understand that January 6th was a legitimate protest about an actual issue, then yeah, it seems crazy. It seems wild. Like the, the excuse always uses, I can tell you that there was a guy in a parking lot jumping up and down on a car, screaming and flailing his arms around. You go, that guy sounds crazy. If you don't know that he's being chased by a rabid dog. If I tell you about the rabid dog part, suddenly his actions don't seem so far-fetched anymore. So just ask yourself, what if? Just ask yourself, what if the election really was stolen? What if it, what if it really was stolen? And not stolen in some uh, nationwide thing where every vote was fake or you know there were servers in other countries that were f- laundering vote like what if they just chose five key battleground states where they knew they had to win and if they won those like in Pennsylvania and in Georgia and in Arizona and in a few others ones that they themselves talked about prior to the election ever happening and what if it was in those five states in particular that you had completely inexplicable spikes in the vote count where you'd had 100,000 votes for Joe Biden and not a single one for Donald Trump dumped in the middle of the night when all of the observers had been told to go home because they said they'd stopped counting for that night. 
What if it really was stolen? Would everything that you're seeing fall in line with that? Would everything that you're seeing then sort of make sense? Of course, they they love the, the Donald Trump cult talking point. Donald Trump's just a cult leader, and people just believe what he says no matter what. We were observing the vote being stolen on election night. We were watching it happen in real time. Donald Trump didn't even come out and say anything about it till several days later. By that point, InfoWars had plenty of stories. Gateway Pundit had plenty of stories. Everybody was covering all of the ridiculously unprecedented, strange occurrences. And then you had people swearing under oath that they had unwittingly participated in the theft of the election, driving entire trucks full of ballots from one state to another, and then breaking the chain of, of custody where they were forced to leave their truck somewhere and not hand it off to anybody. When they came back in the morning, the truck was gone. And they were like, well, how do we know that these votes are valid? I just, I just delivered a truck of ballots, and I don't know who took them from me, and I wasn't able to get the proper authorization to say I'm handing it off to the appropriate people. You wouldn't settle for this in a murder case, right? You can't just go, well, we, we found the, the bloody knife, and you're like, where was it? And they're like, oh, it just showed up. Some, it just showed up one day. Well, where'd you get it? What's the, what's the chain of custody here? How do we know this is legitimate? The fact that we don't have a chain of custody alone means that the votes should be thrown out. Whether they're legitimate or not, if you aren't keeping track of the chain of custody, then they aren't valid. So yeah, I got to go all the way back to the beginning. And again, he's just, it's just rife with lies. He talks about the fact that the, well, the claim that every single court, 60 courts rejected these claims. Well, they rejected hearing the claims. They rejected giving the claims an appropriate overview. They rejected ever seeing the claims in the first place. And we know from whistleblowers and from Bill Barr himself, he shut down any investigation into claims of voter fraud. So the v- claims of voter fraud were never adjudicated. They were never investigated. They were hushed up and silenced and ignored from the very beginning. And so, of course, people are going to be mad. And it, and it goes without saying the year of riots and violence where you had the left encouraging and justifying the most egregious action by rioters and protesters by saying, well, things can be replaced, but this is important and this is the way democracy is handled. Foolish, foolish of us, foolish Trump supporters to think that that was actually the truth and to think that that would apply to us as much as it applied to anybody else. No, this is an apartheid system. We don't have those rights and privileges anymore. So it's, it's, it's tricky, but it really is an info war. It really is a matter of the truth versus the lies. Now, they want to say that Trump supporters have some sort of nihilism where what the truth is and what lies are, it doesn't matter. Again, just pure projection. We know the truth. We know the reality. Our narrative actually fits perfectly with what we know to have happened. You can ask yourself, what if? What if the election was stolen? Everything makes perfect sense. I've got some good news. Our high-quality supplements really work, and we have about an 80% reorder rate with customers. That's the good news. They're amazing. The bad news is around 1% or a little less of our actual viewers and listeners ever go to InfoWarsStore.com and ever actually buy the products. So you're missing out on these products, plus it funds the InfoWar. Think of what we've done with just 1% of our massive audience actually buying products. Think what would happen if those of you on the fence 
actually went to InfoWarsStore.com and got some of these amazing products. I would recommend Turmeric 95 for your joints, your bones, inflammation to get one of the biggest effects so you reorder it and see how great it is. Also, we've got the super high quality full spectrum CBD oil that's so good for your neurological systems, your brain, your joints, your bones as well. Or Real Red Pill Plus. Just go try the product, fund the InfoWar, and help us defeat the new order together. InfoWarStore.com. You're listening to The American Journal with your host, Harrison Smith. Watch it live right now at band.video. Consider the death of police officer Brian Sicknick. Now, we still don't know exactly how Officer Sicknick died. We're not certain that anyone does know. No one has explained it. But after reviewing the previously withheld video evidence, we can tell you with certainty that Officer Sicknick was not beaten to death by Trump voters at the Capitol. The tape shows very clearly Brian Sicknick walking through the building in apparent health after the media told us for two years that he had been murdered. So they were wrong about that. Okay, they got caught. Here's the interesting thing. They won't admit it. Liz Cheney's tweet is still on Twitter tonight. Officer Sicknick was killed defending our capital from the violent mob on January 6th. No correction. Anderson Cooper of CNN still has not apologized. Quote, Officer Brian Sicknick died after being hit in the head with a fire extinguisher during the fight, he told us. Those are lies. So why not just admit it and move on? But they won't. In fact, this week, the White House trotted out both the press secretary and Joe Biden's attorney general, the attorney general of the United States, to claim not just that Brian Sicknick was actually murdered by Republicans at the Capitol, but that other officers were murdered, too. It's, it's almost beyond belief. Watch this. The right range of bipartisan lawmakers, you heard them all yesterday, you guys reported on it, who have condemned uh, this false depiction of the unprecedented violent attack on on our Constitution and the rule of law, which cost police police, uh, officers their lives. It was a violent attack on a fundamental tenet of American democracy, that power is peacefully transferred from one administration to another. Over a hundred officers were assaulted on that day. Five officers died. Five officers died on that day. Now, that's just not some guy on Twitter. That's the Attorney General of the United States. That's a man whose honesty is central to his job. If you had a choice between IQ and integrity in an Attorney General, of course you would go with integrity because it's essential. But Joe Biden's Attorney General, Merrick Garland, is a liar. He just lied about something that is provably false. Who are these five officers who were, quote, killed that day? Notice he didn't tell you. No one ever tells you. No one ever shows you their autopsies. They don't want any detail. They just want the slogan. Now, they're counting Brian Sicknick. That's a lie. But who are the other four? Well, those are four officers who killed themselves after January 6th, in some cases, long after January 6th. But their suicides, we know for a fact, were the result of the Republican mob at the Capitol. It's just, it's just false. And it's not some esoteric fact. That fact is available to anyone who has Internet access. No police officers died that day on January 6th. None. Not one. Some were assaulted. That is true. And their assaults are indefensible. 
So how many were assaulted? Well, Garland said over 100. The Government Accountability Office says the number is 114. And we're just going to roll with that. We don't know if it's true, but we'll take it at face value. And that is bad. We are opposed to assaulting police officers in any context. We said that on January 6, 2020. And we'll say it again. We're against that. But is January 6th the worst assault on the U.S. government since the Civil War? That's insane. It's not even close. And, of course, it wasn't even the worst assault on the American government uh, in the prior 365 days. There was, I believe, even a greater amount of uh, Secret Service agents who were injured on the assault on the White House that happened under Black Lives Matter and Antifa, but they don't mention that. Folks, we'll be back uh, on the other side of this short break with Simon Roche. He is a activist in South Africa. We're going to learn about what's going on in that country. I just want to ask you, won't you support us? Why don't you go to InfoWarsStore.com? We really are tomorrow's news today. From COVID-19 to January 6th to the election fraud, we have been right on all of it. We're not bragging here, but it's not hard to come to the right conclusion. It's not hard to see the truth for what it is. You just have to find outlets that you can trust that don't have any alternative or ulterior motive other than just telling you the truth. That's the only motive we have. It's our only goal here. And if we don't do that, then you won't support us. We do do it. So we hope that you support us by going to InfoWarsStore.com. Get the new turmeric toothpaste. We'll be back on the You're tuned in to The American Journal with your host, Harrison Smith. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Second hour of The American Journal has begun. I'm your host, Harrison Smith, joined today by Simon Roche. He is the spokesperson for the world's largest non-state civil defense organization, the Sudlanders of South Africa. Once an ANC activist, he now works tirelessly to prepare for the incoming catastrophe in the Rainbow Nation. Simon lives in Johannesburg and is the proud father of many children. You can find their website at sudlanders.org. That's S-U-I-D, landers.org. Uh, that's also their Twitter account, Sudlanders, and his Twitter account, if you want to follow him, is Simon Roche 17 on Twitter. Thank you so much for joining us, Simon. Thank you very much for having Sightlanders back on InfoWars, Harrison. Uh, absolutely. My uh, pleasure, although I don't know if pleasure is the right word. I think what's going on now in Africa is uh, sort of horrifying for those of us watching it play out. Can you just tell us uh, what's going on there on the ground? What's the latest uh, in South Africa? Harrison, there's a lot to tell, and you're welcome to interrupt me if you know, it goes on too long, but we have a crisis in education, a separate crisis in finance, a crisis in governmental integrity, an electricity crisis that is seeing the country suffer rolling blackouts of up to 11 and a half hours a day. Uh, we have an emerging food crisis. Our hospitals are in a shambolic state. Our president was recently caught with $4 million um, stuffed in, if you can believe it or not, into the stuffing uh, of uh, of his couch, uh, of his uh, sofa. Um, <clears throat> the, the list just goes on and on and on. It turns out that there are four criminal cartels with, to give your listeners some sense of perspective, between 60 and 70 hired killers, just hired killers on their books, that are robbing our national electricity producer of about a, a billion rands worth of value a month. It's $50 million. It doesn't sound like a lot, but the purchasing power parity 
is completely different. So don't think of it in, in dollar terms. It's an astronomical sum in South African terms. And it turns out that at least one of the cartels is headed by our deputy president who resigned a, a few days ago. So you, our former deputy president up until a few days ago. So deputy president of the country running a, a crime cartel or a crime syndicate with apparently 60 hitmen alone in it, robbing, you know, billions from, from the electricity system. And another one of the four cartels is apparently run by another cabinet minister. And we're going to hear shortly in a series of exposés, which have just begun from <clears throat> some uh, newspapers, uh, who the other cabinet minister is. But it's it's beyond imagination. Everything is crumbling. There's a crisis in absolutely everything. And it turns out that the African National Congress of St. Nelson Mandela is at the pinnacle, is the is the keystone, the capstone, I should say, is uh, the top tier, the top echelon of the hierarchy of crime in this country. It's, it's, it's beyond your imagination. Uh, honestly, it is. I mean, wh where do you even, what do you even do? Like, where do you even start to try to undo this catastrophe? Uh, how did it get here? I mean, the, the number of <laughs> questions I have, how did it get, how did it get this bad? I guess that's the question. Obviously it doesn't turn this way overnight. It wasn't fine yesterday and today everything's like this. What has the path been that South Africa is on and how do we in America avoid this path? Because I see us doing a lot of the same things that the, the Rainbow Nation was doing you know, s several decades ago. How do you put a stop to it? How did you get to where you are now? I'm busy reading a book at the moment by the famous scholar from my hometown, my home city, I should say, R.W. Johnson, who was for many years, a don at Magdalen College, Oxford, arguably, Magdalen College is arguably the premier over time learning institution of all of mankind of history. He went there on a Rhodes Scholarship and stayed there, a brilliant man. The book was published in 2009, and in that book, he recounts in fine detail, how, speaking as a liberal, by the way, in fine detail how this began before the African National Congress won <clears throat> the first multiracial elections of the 27th of April, 1994. They were prior to that, to the marrow of their bones, a criminal, a vicious, a, a nasty, horrible entity. They were never good. They were never noble. They were never pure. They were never uh, what the uh, Clinton administration, quite frankly, made them out to be for the world. And it has just continued from there. And, and they've managed to obtain a sort of a critical mass in this destruction. You know, for many years, uh, <clears throat> the African National Congress was strongly opposed by media and civil society organizations and just everybody, you, you know, wouldn't tolerate the, the, the badness that the African National Congress brought into South Africa. But over time, they've managed to get the upper hand. And now that they have the upper hand, they're exploiting it absolutely to the full. As uh, the CEO of this, this powered national, national power utility uh, recounted in an interview recently, he 
reported, he, he investigated, he was appointed a few years ago to try and fix it, the, the entity, and he's a very vigorous, productive, industrious, clever man, and he got to the root of a lot of this, and he reported it to one of the cabinet ministers, the minister of finance, and he said to them, to this guy, look, <coughs> the Americans have just given us $9.8 billion for various purposes, and I'm observing immediately that it is being mismanaged, in other words, stolen. And the, the Minister of Finance turned to him and said, well, you know how it is, people have to eat. And so we've, we've gradually fallen into this uh, groove of Africanism, you know, the stereotype, the liberal, I should point out, this is not a right-wing racist, whatever the thing, this, this concept can be read about in Le Jeune Afrique, BBC Focus on Africa, every magazine that has ever been devoted to Africa has understood the concept of the African big man, that there's a hierarchy. If I'm the president, I take 90% of everything. I give 10% to the next, the next 10 people. They share, they take 1% each, and of that, they give one-tenth of a percent to the next person down. So I'm a trillionaire. The people below me are billionaires, and so it goes on. And the last 10 layers of people live like literal dogs because I am the big African man and I must eat. So <clears throat> now that they have the upper hand, they're just doing whatever they like. The theft at the railways, the theft at the ports and the harbors, at the hospitals, at the, uh, 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 the, the development trusts um, uh, of the funds donated by external countries is is just complete, Harrison. It's complete. Oh, it's completely. It, it's it's completely insane. Is is what it is. And I know that you know we occasionally will see these like flare ups in South Africa, and it's like it's a big deal when it's happening. And then, uh, like the crew was pointing this out yesterday. Like, remember several months ago, there were these videos of guys like shooting at each other in the in the streets. And it seems like it's always on the cusp of just total absolute anarchy, total collapse. And yet it sort of maintains basic function for long enough for the next crisis to come about. I mean, is there going to be a point of just total absolute collapse? And, and what is that going to look like? Well, we would argue that we are at the moment the, the epitome of that the Saul Alinsky kind of principle in his uh, book, Rules for Revolution, where you, you take three steps forward and then two back. So we have these enormous crises, and then the ANC pulls itself together for a little while or pretends that it is doing so, and everybody is sort of mollified for a while, excuse me, and then something new emerges. You know, it, it has turned out, uh, I see the time clicking down, I'll, I'll be very brief. It, it has turned out that the, the same deputy president who was running this crime cartel was nine, uh, 11, 12, 13, 14 years ago, known, known, it was well recorded, it was understood by everybody to be conducting assassinations across one of the provinces of South Africa. It's, it's madness. And yet, he's still, and yet he's still in charge. We'll be back on the other side with more. Stay tuned. Humanity is in a fight for its very life. And InfoWars, for decades, has been at the very forefront of the fight for a pro-human future. We can't stay on air without your help. And I want to thank you all for your past support. And I want to encourage those of you that have never bought products at InfoWarsStore.com to go there and experience how amazing these products really are. 
Ultimate Bone Broth finally sold out for over two years, back in stock. Real Red Pill Plus, simply amazing. Nitric boosts what it does for your heart, your cardiovascular, critical. All these products like Ultimate Krill Oil, Ultimate Fish Oil, Super Mill Vitality, they're all available and in stock, ready to ship to you right now on InfoWarsStore.com. And the final 1,200 signed copies of my book, The Great Reset and the War for the World, and I'm not going to sign any more after that, are exclusively available at InfoWarsStore.com as well. In the last month, I got a little busy, so I didn't sign the books. We didn't have them for sale. But now, I signed the last books. You can get them right now. been in a 28-year marathon battle with a globalist. I have come from nowhere to the very heights of politics, not just in America, but in the world. We are engaging the globalist at point blank range in the information war, but I don't deserve the credit. Yes, I've persevered, but the listeners and viewers who support InfoWars are the real reason we've had the success. We're having now the greatest victories in the fight against the new order we've ever had. We are now entering the final mile of the marathon. And that's why today it's more important than ever to realize how important you've been in this fight and to continue in the efforts you've been carrying out and to intensify them. God bless you all. I salute you. I thank you. And I beg you to intensify what you're doing now because we are over the target and history is happening. The fight is my fight. It's your fight. It's our fight. God bless you all. You're listening to The American Journal. Watch it live right now at band.video. All right, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Harrison Smith, your host of American Journal. My guest is Simon Roche, sudlanders.org. That's S-U-I-D, landers.org. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. But to me, it's, it sounds like you want to say Swedlanders, but Sudlanders. Uh, the Twitter is also at Sudlanders. His Twitter in particular, Simon's, is at Simon Roche 17 uh, A lot to talk about, a lot to get into. The last time that we covered South Africa on this program was last week. When the headline came out from, well, really across the board, across the mainstream media, stockpile food and water, South Africa faces civil war condition if power grid collapses. A country of 60 million is on the verge of collapse amid rolling blackouts and warning of civil war scale unrest. There's load shedding. You only have power uh, certain times of the day. What is it like to live under this condition? And as I understand, you still have power. The the Worst of the worst hasn't come to pass yet of no power whatsoever for days on end. Uh, but just what is it like living in a country that that literally can't keep its lights on? Well, we're going now for uh, 13 hours without power today. I have a small solar system, so I don't feel it as much as others do. But if you go into our little local shops, you see that the, we live in a, a semi-desert region. It gets very warm here. It is very warm uh, today. You see the, the, the meat rotting in the in the freezers. You know, those little shops can't afford a uh, $50,000 solar system each to guarantee that all of their freezers and fridges can run 24 hours a day. So that's one symptom. I had a shower because <clears throat> it's been a long, hot day just before this interview. And during the shower, the water ran out. And that's because we've been having so many power cuts for so many days that when we were unable to pump water today, the water ran out. In other words, if we had not had power cuts over the, you know, every single day for the past 
three months or four months now, I think, um, though that reservoir would have been full. The water tank, what we call a reservoir, I know you, you use the word reservoir differently in, in the United States of America, but the water tank that sits above our town would have been full this morning. We would have gone into a blackout and that tank would have lasted perhaps three or four days. It's a very large one um, without any trouble. But my water ran out 10 minutes, 15 minutes before I began this interview. So that tells you practically how things are going. I'll give you another example. We live on, our village is on a, a dam, uh, what you would call a reservoir, uh, which is 100 kilometers long, about 60 miles long, very large. And it is on the Orange River, which is the biggest river in southern Africa. Tiny by, by U.S. standards, absolutely tiny, but it's vital in, in a water scarce in an arid region such as ours. So beneath the dam or the dam wall, if you prefer, there's a lot of irrigated crop farming, crop farming that doesn't rely on rain, but rather on water pumped from the river and irrigated by, by center pivots uh, onto uh, crops such as maize or what you call corn and wheat and barley and lucerne for animal feeds and so on. I play lawn bowls, what, what they call old man's marbles, with one of the top local irrigated crop farmers. And he told me last week that they did a, uh, an assessment, they got some professionals in to assess the crops <clears throat> given the the blackouts that we've had now for four or five months and actually about three years with some some gaps in between, but solidly for four months every single day. And the crops are down by 33% on average, 25% from the absolute maximum that corn can ever do in this environment with our sunshine and, and water and what have you. So the in an absolute perfect scenario, the 25% down, but in an average scenario, between all of the farmers in this region, they're down by a third. Now, <clears throat> can you imagine in a country like South Africa, where we have one in five of the world's AIDS cases? This was revealed a, a couple of years ago at a big symposium. I'm quoting the, the world's leading expert. Right. Can you imagine electricity cuts of up to 11 and a half hours a day, food shortages. Uh, we, we're now experiencing a very large medicine shortage across the, the public hospitals of South Africa. Can you imagine if those just roll forward 10%? We don't know that the country is absolutely going to collapse tomorrow or the day after or next week or next month or next year. But what we do know is that we are on the precipice of an absolute catastrophe. If 10 million AIDS patients can't get their free antiretroviral drugs in a cold winter without electricity, when there's a food shortage and what food is available has gone up 50% in price, that could turn into a cataclysm in, in a matter of moments. As you saw, I beg your pardon, in mid-2021, when the country went up in flames right. over the, the arrest of, of a former president 
who had denied numerous, you know, he was supposed to be in jail and he was just flouting the law. Eventually he went to jail and, and his supporters went berserk. They burned everything after looting it. They absolutely brought the country and our insurance system and our reinsurance companies to their knees. And that was just over a guy going to jail. It wasn't uh, about a, a, a child half starving to death. And I'll give you another brief example before I, I shut up. On the 1st of March, our social security system, which is called SASA, began what they call shedding recipients. So they, they're slowly shaving off, beginning on the 1st of March, uh, some of the recipients. Now, nobody knows exactly who it is, whether it's elderly people, whether it's orphans, uh, disabled people, people with AIDS, unemployed people, but they can no longer afford, there's, there's simply no money left for them to pay all of these people. So throw that into the mix. And I put it to you that it's not hysterical exaggeration. It's not right-wing dramatization when we say that we're not dying today. But could this turn into one of the biggest catastrophes in the world in six months' time? Absolutely. We're on the very verge of it. At present, we have the world's highest unemployment rate, the highest in the whole world. Our country is teetering on the edge of a cataclysm. It really is Harrison. And, and we have some of those numbers we can go over a little bit later, just the, the official numbers showing that you know something like 3% of the South African population pays 80% of the taxes, half of the people rely 100% on welfare. I mean, all of these things are implemented with the claim that, well, it's good for the minorities, but really it just destroys everything for everyone. It's not good for anyone, regardless of the talking points that they spread. And again, it just sounds like a cascading effect. You have the water can't uh, feed the crops. And even if you do get the crops, you don't have the electricity to store them correctly. So it's just it, catastrophe. I think it's like we need a new word. It's like it's not big enough for, for what you guys are dealing with. We're going to get back into it on the other side with some of those numbers and some of you know how you got here. I know during the break you called this simply communism in action. And it's, it's a, something we've seen repeat over and over in history. We could avoid it right now if we had action, especially from Western powers, but they ignore it. Ladies and gentlemen, InfoWars has proven itself the last 28 years to be over the globalist target and having the biggest effect out there against those tyrants. And we fund our operation with viewers and listeners' support while selling you great products at the same time. So I want to thank all the viewers and listeners who have supported us over the years by spreading the word praying for the broadcast and buying product. But I really want to encourage those of you that have been on the fence, have never actually gone to InfoWarsStore.com to go there and get the great books and films and supplements and survival gear that's there that won't just empower you and enrich your life, but again, will keep this broadcast transmitting. So whether it's Real Red Pill Plus or our super high-quality CBD oil or the 50% off or our great physio magnesium product, or whether it's down and out, our great sleep bay that's back in stock, it's all there. Our turmeric, 95% humanoid, strongest out there, turmeric 95. It's all available at InfoWarsStore.com, and it keeps us on the air. So make the decision to enrich your life and keep us on air, InfoWarsStore.com. InfoWars.com is tomorrow's news today. Putting the power of conversation into the caller's hands, you're tuned in to the American Journal with your host, Harrison Smith. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. 
I know I I don't remember if I said this when we were on air or uh, in between during breaks when when I was talking to Mr. Simon Roche. He is our guest here. You can follow him on Twitter at Simon Roche seventeen. That you know I we have this illusion in America that. Well, communism's so weak, it's so corrupt that once it's enacted, it'll collapse and and it never lasts that long. But you look at the Soviet Union lasted for 80 plus years, even when it was being confronted continuously by the most powerful country in the world, America at the time. In South Africa, it's this slow, long degradation. I mean, boiling frogs is is one way to put it, I guess, but it doesn't just end. It it can continue for a very long time. The suffering can be stretched out, the misery can be over decade upon decade. Now, I, I know I was saying during the break that this would be one place where I would actually see a positive effect or, or a, a positive argument for Western intervention, American intervention. You see this formerly first world country collapsing into chaos and murder and death. Why can't Americans or you know Western Europe send in troops and try to maintain control and try to do something about this? It would be one place where I would actually see an argument for foreign intervention but you you seem to think that that's not even it's it's not even a uh a mission taking on can can you explain that a little bit yeah <clears throat> harrison when the african national congress took over in 1994 in many ways south africa was a very very extremely advanced country when i traveled to the usa as uh, we hope as we shall do again this year i'm often surprised by the primitiveness of the banking, mm. for example. There's nothing wrong with it, but it's what we left behind 25 years ago. <clears throat> My point being that in many ways, South Africa was a spectacular place. Not very equal and not perfect, but in many ways spectacular. The people who have destroyed that, all of that, there's very little of it left, would destroy everything that you came and did for us if you did come here and intervene within 20 or 25 years. If you built for us for free, Washington, D.C., New York City, Philadelphia, uh, I don't know, wherever you care to mention those cities in South Africa, in a generation's time, there would be very little left of them. There's a looming water crisis in South Africa, Harrison, that very, very few people are talking about. But we at Saitlanders endeavor to remain on the absolute cutting edge of the knowledge and the understanding of what is occurring in the country without any doctrinaire kind of preconceptions. And that enables us to speak far more freely than any other civil society organization in South Africa. And in terms of facts, figures, data and statistics, the the stuff that really counts, as opposed to sloganeering and rhetoric and uh, what have you. We are on the cusp of the failure, the simultaneous failure of huge, huge water systems in this country. We're just a very short time away from it. When that happens and 2.5 million people get cholera, within the span of a few months or whatever, 250,000 in one township, whatever the case may be, this country is going to go to hell very, very rapidly. And the point in relation to your question is that you can do whatever you like to help people. But if they don't want to be helped, or if 
they don't want to take their share of the responsibility for the help. Or if they're not willing to participate in the helping and the sustaining of that help, then it does, it does make a difference. It makes a difference when you give a baby, an, a, a, you know, a booster shot of uh, multivitamins or whatever, you know, some starving orphan in Uganda or in South Africa, as the case may be. But that is helpful only for as long as the the substance is more powerful than the horrible food that it eats, than mm. the dirt in which it is allowed to play, uh, than the, 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 the toxins in the water from the, the neighbors throwing filth into the nearby stream. You, you cannot save South Africa from herself, Harrison. And of course, the irony is that some of the cities that you mentioned, especially Philadelphia, we are experiencing the slow beginnings of the, the ultimate degradation here as well, because it's the exact same uh, thing happening here. It's happening in South Africa, maybe not quite as severely, but it's it's like looking into a crystal ball and seeing America in the future if things continue the way that they are, especially, you know, I mentioned some of the numbers, just a couple of the headlines, again, from mainstream media. Nobody's, you know, cherry picking uh, information here. Half of South Africa's population are 100 percent dependent on state welfare. Half of the country, 100 percent dependent on state, wel- state welfare. The byline here says ANC leaders boast, saying this is a good thing, actually. Uh, and of, you know, of that tax money that's collected, 1.7 million people pay 80 percent of that income tax. So, Three percent of the population pays 80 percent of the tax. Fifty percent of the population pays no tax because they're living entirely off of tax. I mean, obviously, it's unsustainable. Obviously, that can't go on. Nothing's being done to to fix it, correct it. I mean, we seem to be on the same trajectory. What would you say to Americans who are seeing this unfold before us? How could you have stopped this 30 years ago? You know, if, if if you had a magic wand or like, was there a way to prevent this or like what just what would you say to Americans who see America traveling down the same path as South Africa? There was no way to stop it in South Africa because universal sanctions by the United Nations and, you know, individual countries and so on and so forth were having a very detrimental effect. At one point in time, our official inflation rate was 27 uh, percent. On top of that, the the overwhelming numbers of, uh, you know, disparity between the whites and the non-whites in the apartheid system were unsustainable because we had the best hospitals for black people in Africa, hands down and by a country mile. So the, the, the mortality rate was very much lower and the population was just exploding. So it was only going to get worse. It wasn't going to be become any easier and it was already very difficult. But it wasn't going to become any easier to 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 sustain apartheid. The only, I beg your pardon, possibility was for a negotiation whereby um, the Afrikaners, predominantly but not only, would be given their own ethno state, which is a perfectly reasonable thing. Um, Germany is a nation state. Austria is a nation state. Chechia, the Czech Republic is a nation state, Slovakia, Slovenia, Croatia, Serbia, nation states have historically been the building blocks or the, 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 the incorporated entities of the most successful societies of history. That could have worked. Nothing else really could have. But, you know, just to comment on your question about America, 
Um, in 2019, I was invited to give a speech at a birthday party, an invitation only, very select, you know, lovely crowd, very elegant uh, uh, people in the USA, in the South. And I tried a new medication, you know, American new medication for an illness that I had. Uh, and it was uh, homeopathic or, or natural. I thought, well, if, if I take an extra dose, it'll only be good for me. Mm. And I took too much of this medicine. And on the day of the speech, I was very, very ill. It was a foolish thing to do, but there we go. So I couldn't read the page on the, or the pages on which I'd written my speech. So I just gave a rambling sort of speech, you know, kind of tottering on my feet. <clears throat> and at one point, I pointed out that that I could sense that violence was about to break out in the USA. And I spoke at some length about the almost palpable signs that I could pick up that I had witnessed years before in South Africa when we had so much violence. And afterwards, I was heavily reprimanded by, by an elegant Southern gentleman, a very respectable man, but he was irate with me. However, when the Portland riots broke out, about 12 people from that room that day sent me text messages and voice messages and WhatsApp messages and so on saying, using almost the same words on every occasion, right now you look like the cleverest guy that was in that room three months ago. You are on the same trajectory, I promise you. Well, we'll, we'll try to get to conclusions on the other side. Our world is so full of hype. We are force-fed dehumanizing propaganda by the corporate media, by the controlled churches and the universities. Why is this the case? Because we innately, by God, have been given the keys to our own minds, our own psyches, our own souls. And by connecting to God, we can empower ourselves and transcend the, quote, fallen or sinful state. So the chemicals that we ingest and, and all the things that we try to bring into our bodies to, to, to change who we are are only lowering us. They're only making us more depressed. In the end, they're only making us less fulfilled. It is only by going within and really making that connection to God that we can truly empower ourselves. That's why the globalists bombard us with toxins and chemicals to block us getting the normal vitamins and minerals and trace elements. Our bodies need to be healthy and to be able to basically reach out beyond the third dimension. And that's where the incredible products come in at InfoWarsStore.com. Ladies and gentlemen, this book, The Great Reset and the War for the World, is a historic book that documents the globalists in their own words plan for our future. That is a hellish future. Now, you'll be always, while they still allow books, I guess, they're starting to ban them, be able to get an unsigned copy of The Great Reset and the War for the World at bookstores, Amazon, or InfoWarsStore.com. But you will never be able to get another signed copy of the book after the signed copies we got run out. And there's about a thousand left of them right now. So get your copy of The Great Reset and The War for the World, a signed copy at InfoWarsStore.com. And there is a markup there because this is a fundraiser to keep us on the air. So you won't just have this historic memento and this powerful book. You'll also know that you help keep InfoWars on the air. I'm going to thank those of you that have gotten signed copies of the book or unsigned copies. But I want to encourage all of you who haven't yet to go to InfoWarsStore.com and get a signed copy and buy a couple of unsigned copies and donate to the library or give them to the local school. This is an InfoWar. I'm counting on you, and thank you for your support. You're listening to The American Journal. Watch it live right now at band.video. All 
All right, folks. Man, we could go on for hours with Mr. Simon Roche. He is part of the Sudlanders organization, sudlanders.org. That's S-U-I-D, landers.org. Also on Twitter, at Sudlanders. His Twitter is at SimonRoche17. I'm sure people can go there and find out how to support you and your organization because I know a lot of people listening to us right now are probably hearing a lot of this for the first time as the mainstream media doesn't exactly talk about South Africa that much. In fact, one of the reasons we covered it last week and wanted to get you on so badly is because there's this phenomenon. I don't even know if I want to use that word, but the farm murders in South Africa are it's white farmers uh, attacked by usually black Africans in just the most horrific ways possible. I don't even want to describe what some of these farm attacks look like, but there's about one a day on average, about one a day take place. Never you never hear a word of it in the mainstream media. Instead, what the mainstream media does, such as New York Times, is they'll write a giant expose about white men who didn't let black uh, kids go and swim in their private pool. And that's that's the biggest crime. That's an international story. That's huge. And it just goes to show that it's not about minority majority. It's not about who's in power versus who's not in power. There is a concerted effort to demonize white people, to ignore the crimes against them, and to blow up anything that white people do as if it's evidence of this pervasive racism that must be stomped out. Tell us a little bit about just the crime in Africa. And because again, it goes totally unreported here. Yeah. Harrison, as your viewers will probably know, we have a very severe crime rate in practically every crime imaginable. Um, <clears throat> the, 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 the rate of intentional homicide, murder to you and me, in Europe varies from country to country, but it's something like about two per 100,000 per annum. In the United States of America, it's, you know, in the supposedly gun nut country, et cetera, et cetera, it's about four per 100,000 per annum. In South Africa, it's about 38 per 100,000 per annum. That's... 900% higher than the United States of America. And the great irony is that in spite of the fact that it's already so high, it's accelerating. And it's, uh, I've got a page open here. I didn't know that you were going to ask uh, about this, um, but I happen to have it open in research work that I'm doing. To give you some idea, the year-on-year increase in the fourth quarter of last year, as opposed to the fourth quarter of the previous year, 2021, <clears throat> attempted murder increased, already very, very high, amongst the highest in the world, by 24.3%. You can't imagine it. You can't. You, it's impossible to be born intelligent enough to comprehend the idea that you can have amongst the worst in the world in what is supposedly an idyllic rainbow nation, one South Africa society, and it can be jumping by a quarter a year. Um, You're right, robbery unimaginable. In, increased by 21%. Burglary, 13%. Murder, as if it wasn't higher, high enough, 10.8%. And, and so it goes on. You know, <clears throat> our farm murders, uh, the, white, the number of white, funnily enough, Two weeks ago, I held a long conversation with one of the top uh, writers on farming, journalists, farming journalists in South Africa, one of the number one guys. 
And we chatted about uh, the number of farmers that are left and the number of emerging black farmers and the commercial black farmers and the this and the that, the next thing. And he said to me, nobody knows for sure because the government is not keeping good statistics, but there are approximately 35,000 white farmers left down from over 120,000, about 121,000 in 1994. And there are now about 8,000 black farmers. Now, when they publish the farm murder statistics, South Africa being South Africa, it's very easy to tell which commercial farm owners, commercial owners that are white on that list. Those three criteria are definitive. So we're talking about commercial farmers who own the farm, not an employee, not a wife, not a daughter, not a visitor, not a family member, not a a farm manager, the the owner of the farm. And that is about, it varies from year to year, something like 40 to 47, 45, 44, 43. And simple arithmetic tells you that that means that the rate of murder of white farmers, I'm trying desperately, frantically to do mental arithmetic here, is something like 120 per 100,000 per year. It just is. Whether people like it or not, whether it makes them squirm uncomfortably in their chairs or not, it just is. It is white farmers, white commercial farm owners that are being murdered at a rate that is comparable to, to gang death rates in Detroit City and is not comparable because it is so much worse to the murders of police officers in San Francisco or Chicago or, 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 or Maryland or wherever, Delaware. It is unbelievable. It is phenomenal. And it is getting worse. That's just a fact. Just as the electricity crisis is getting worse, the food crisis is getting worse, the currency crisis is getting worse. The, the government is bankrupt and it cannot pay the, the social grants. And now it is, it has announced it, but not publicly. It's sort of come out in an informal manner. And it has been reported on, on the, you know, the kind of the white mainstream media. But the, 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 the social grant recipients themselves have not been told that as of the, the 1st of March, just a week and a bit ago, they've started shed, shedding recipients who are only going to discover it on the 31st of March. And people are going to be very, very, very upset. But the government doesn't really have a choice. Everything is a mess in this country, Harrison. There's nothing that's not a mess. And that is an expression of communism. You know, I always say to people, and I'm sure this applies to your viewers too, God bless them. We all know that Alex Jones and Infowars have been ahead of the curve on almost every single subject that is pertinent to Western society for the past however many years. Uh, But the fact remains, I say this with respect, that 999 of a thousand of your listeners firmly believe that Karl Marx was an atheist. He simply was not an atheist. And anybody who reads the fourth critique of Hegel or his uh, poetry will immediately realize that he was never an atheist. He had no interest in atheism. He was a very religious man who was a devoted Satanist. He talks about how the, he explicitly explains in the fourth critique of Hegel, how communists annoy him. They irritate him because they refuse to get it into their thick heads 
that the first objective of communism is to destroy the, the, the triune Godhead. Hmm. He said, and the way you destroy the triune Godhead is by destroying his kingdom on earth. This is about destroying the Christian family, destroying Christendom. And the way you do it is you take the children out of the home and you put them in schools and blah, 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 blah. We all know Saul Alinsky's rules for revolution and Marx's story. My point being that communism is explicitly devoted to those people who are willing to do the reading. As Marx describes, he says, no matter how many times the true God pushes me down, he says this in one of his poems, I will use the powers of darkness and evil to challenge him over and over and over again. He was a very, very religious man, a, a, a devoted, pious man in terms of his religion, a pious man. Right. And we are seeing that expression in the African National Congress, which is a front for the South African Communist Party, as people may or may not know, in being fulfilled, being realized, being manifest in South Africa today, as we are seeing it being manifest in the United States of America, following the very successful long march through the institutions uh, and the occupational government that now occupies most of the, the cabinet seats in Joe Biden's cabinet. This is just the truth. Whether it makes people squirm uncomfortably in their seats or not, it remains a fact. And you, sadly, because the USA is such an edifice, such a behemoth, are going to experience a far more violent uh, and traumatic decline than even we did, because there is so much more to fall. There is so much more to collapse. And I'm afraid that the moves that China and Russia have made, uh, uh, although we're very sympathetic to both sides of, of the story of, of Ukraine, it's a complicated thing. We understand that. But the moves that the China and Russia have made to undermine the US dollar, which has been the central pillar of supporting the USA artificially for the past 70 years, is going to cause a great deal, a great deal of trauma in the in the months to come, Harrison. Uh, I just pray we can uh, recognize that and actually do something to prevent it uh, rather than than just sitting back and watching it happen. Incredible stuff. I would love to have you on again soon to talk more about this. We could go hours and hours on any of these topics. Thank you once again, Simon Roche, for joining us at Sudlanders on Twitter, sudlanders.org. That's S-U-I-D, Landers. It's hard to believe that we're already going into March 2023, and the world is an insane place. World War III has already started. Biden is a puppet and is dissolving our borders. There's mass censorship. James O'Keefe's been removed from Project Veritas. The list goes on and on of the bad things that are happening. But the good things that are happening is humanity is really accelerating its awakening. But those of us on the forefront are under more attack by the establishment than ever. That's why I'm counting on you to spread the word about the broadcast, to pray for the broadcast, and keep the broadcast on the air by getting great products at InfoWarsTore.com. And whether it's a final signed copy, they're almost all sold out, or the great reset in the war for the world, or Ultimate Bone Broth, finally back in stock after over two years, it's all available at InfoWarsTore.com. These are truly amazing products. So get your InfoWars products at InfoWarsTore.com and enrich your life while keeping the broadcast on the air. It is your decision on whether or not we stay on air, so please take action now at InfoWarsTore.com.